You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. You're listening to the David's Pick Show. And we've got a uh, special guest on today. You know, as any good grunt would be... uh, one has to be a little bit nervous in the presence of a general. And uh, I will only use that term once because a uh, colonel and a captain, as a matter of fact, the captain first embarrassed me in front of uh, the troops by saying, I didn't know any better and they hadn't taught me any better at the time, but <laughs> I, I yelled, hey, captain. And boy, was that a mistake. <laughs> and in front of the troops, I was dressed down royally that a grunt, a private at the time, does not uh, address an officer as his rank. You address him as sir. Mm-hmm. End of statement. So we are delighted to have General Richard Dixon, a native of Atlanta, as a matter of fact, I guess native, is that yes. right? Uh-huh. Okay, Brookhaven. Born and raised. Born and raised. Yeah. You're really strange. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're different from most of the folks. Mm-hmm. That uh, we, uh, I invaded Atlanta from Texas, and here you are, a native. And I uh, went to high school at... Uh, Columbia High School in Decatur. In Decatur, okay. Mm-hmm. And then you went to South Carolina State. Yes, sir. Did you go, oh, please don't do that, <laughs> just because I'm older than dirt, <laughs> but I feel I'm embarrassed for you to say sir to me, but anyway, so then you did, were you an ROTC? In, yes, uh, distinguished military graduate from South Carolina State's ROTC department. Wow. Well, congratulations. Do you, uh, st- I think the it's the Gamecocks, right? Uh, no, it's no, the it's Bulldogs. Bulldogs, uh-huh. okay. So we're about uh, 40 miles down the road from the Gamecocks. Oh, okay. Well, I think I think you beat my alma mater anyway, Texas Tech. So we'll we'll leave it at that. We won't get into football, but I'm, uh, folks. I am I am really honored to have General Dix in the studio today, and I want to thank uh, Rick White, Colonel White. Uh, he's helped. Uh, the station out many many times and he's the uh, executive director of the georgia military hall of fame yes and uh, you were inducted in 2018 2018. Mm-hmm. and uh, you know <laughs> let me put it like this you gotta be somebody to be inducted into the military hall of fame and so i think uh that's the beginning and the end of this interview uh, <laughs> we, we've got a very distinguished gentleman in our presence and uh you've you served three tours in afghanistan afghanistan mm-hmm. let's just go let's just go through your life sort of uh, like you were saying mm-hmm. i did it but when I was a kid, but then I decided, no, I don't think they're using real bullets in Vietnam. I don't think this is necessarily what I want to do. But uh, we all play um, with our rifles and weapons and stuff, Mm -hmm. and you said you were doing that as a kid. Yes. You know, there was a unique story. Um, When I was about 18 months, uh, my my, uh, godfather was preparing to go to Vietnam, and uh, that was uh, Sergeant Willie Twilly. And... uh, he bent down in the crib to kiss me goodbye, and his dog tags fell out. And uh, 
as the story goes, I grabbed the dog tags and wouldn't let him go. So uh, he had to take the dog tags off, wait for me to fall asleep, and then he took the dog tags and deployed to Vietnam. A year later, he came back, and uh, the first thing I did was I patted him on his chest looking for his dog tags. <laughs> so he took them off and, and put them around my neck, and he uh, told my mom and dad, he said, hey, this young man is going to be in the Army one day, and, uh, you know, he's going to do some things that are going to surprise us. So, you know, some 45, 50 years later, here I am. Okay, now i got to ask, did they have the uh, the rubber protection on them, on the dog tags? <laughs> yeah, he did. <laughs> Or whatever. I don't know that it was rubber necessarily, but the the white plastic stuff or the yeah. And in, in, in those days, they had the clear plastic. Yeah. And uh, the dog tags fit right in them, so they wouldn't rattle. Right. But a few people let them rattle anyway. But and then some people like we were talking about uh, our former Secretary of State that didn't know how to uh, operate a grenade. So. Hmm. Uh, we won't go into that. But anyway, we were we were discussing his fate the other day. So three tours, and at what point – Or well, you were in ROTC, so you came out a uh, second lieutenant? Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, went right into – To Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, so when I, I came out of college, I went straight to uh, Fort Knox. Uh, I was an armor officer. So I went to 24th ID with General McCaffrey as the uh, a tank platoon leader for 369 Armor at Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, trained for uh, three years, and uh, right when Desert Storm, uh, we were alerted, I got uh, transferred from the Armor Corps to the uh, Quartermaster Corps. So I went to the Division Support Command the, uh, probably about a week or two before we deployed. And um, so I deployed with 224 uh, Forward Support uh, Battalion, out of uh, Fort Stewart, and I was their uh, recon platoon and alpha company um, ammo platoon leader. And uh, so during Desert Storm, um, I was injured in an IED strike uh, and hurt my lower back. And uh, so I was medevaced to Lonsdale, Germany, uh, received treatment, and then returned uh, back to uh, Desert Storm to uh, go across the berm with my unit. And uh, so I took went on a couple of night patrols that, uh, you know, uh, kind of put the unit in jeopardy. But uh, we came through unscathed. And, uh, you know, I turned down a uh, Valor uh, Award because I thought I was just doing my job. And that was to protect my people and uh, get them back to Fort Stewart, Georgia. I didn't see it as doing anything extraordinary. Um, and that's pretty much how the career has gone over the 34 years that uh, I've served. Uh, you know, so four years as a ROTC uh, scholarship student and then 30 years on active duty. And uh, I've loved every minute of it. You know, I was asked by uh, parents uh, on several occasions, you know, um, when you graduated, you, you had a job, you know. And I'm like, no, I had a craft that I loved. And uh, for the last 30 years, I haven't worked a day in my life. So. You know, it's, uh, it's a love, it's a passion. And in today's forces, just like the people that went to Vietnam, you know, um, there is a calling. And uh, when you're called, you answer that call. And that's what uh, today's uh, national treasure, uh, the young men and women that we send to combat, that's what they're doing. They're answering that call. And uh, there's no greater 
uh, love than uh, a man that has that he's willing to lay down his life for his fellow man. And uh, I believe in that wholeheartedly. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, the name Tano Pirano? Mm hmm. Uh, Tano became an acquaintance, not a friend, but an acquaintance, and uh, uh, that's his that's his motto, is it uh, from the Bible? Mm-hmm. Uh, no greater call, and uh, you know, as you look back on it, and I've I, I don't fault the United States. I love mm-hmm. the United States, but you know, uh, if there's a fault it's that we've never in my opinion had a good or accurate foreign policy and our understanding of what we're going into mm-hmm. um you know it, it was like vietnam oh my god what's all this green stuff <laughs> it's a it's a jungle you know mm-hmm. and we weren't really Initially, weren't training for for jungle activity, right? And uh, it, it was every every in somebody's mind somewhere. Every war is on a clear plane, like it was during the revolution. Mm-hmm. And you know, you shoot at each other, maybe hide behind a tree if you're lucky. But then we get into Afghanistan and the Gulf War and Desert Storm and Desert Shield and all that, and. You know, I, I guess part of the closest was when the Viet Cong would uh, redirect the Claymore mines at us. Mm-hmm. But I don't think, or well, you can tell me. I, I don't know, but I don't think there was a and and the Cong uh, Viet Cong did it, but they didn't call them infer, uh, uh, IEDs, mm-hmm. uh, and we all of a sudden were. Having casualties right. in uh, with IEDs and and somebody said, "Oh, well, we've got these new Jeep things called Humvees, mm-hmm. and uh, gee, maybe we ought to put some extra material in so they won't get damaged." Right. Like, were you in a Humvee when when? Uh, uh, we were in a Cutby, so it was a, a Ford Ranger that uh, you know had been militarized, but. Uh, you know, um, it it did what it was supposed to do. You know, it, we hit a uh, anti personnel mine, so we were very fortunate. Uh, had it been anti armor, yeah. uh, you and I would not be having this conversation here today. No, you know, but the, one of the things, uh, David, that you got to understand is that uh, you know, uh, warfare evolves. You know, man evolves, and uh, you know, when you went from uh, the the plains of Waterloo in Europe. And you fought standing armies, you know, uh, across those valleys. Um, with the evolution, so does our tactics, techniques, and procedures have to evolve. And, you know, I, I, over the last 30 years, the military has done a great job of preparing for the evolution of warfare. Uh, with the National Training Center out in uh, Fort Irwin, California, and uh, the JROTC facility, out in Louisiana, and it teaches you, uh, you know, open desert warfare, which is the Middle East. Um, it teaches you some of the uh, Hindu Kush in the mountains of Afghanistan, uh, where we learned some uh, valuable lessons. Uh, I was a part of the uh, evaluation team 
that switched uh, the military uniforms from the old digital pattern <laughs> to the new UCP pattern that blends in to the mountains of well, Afghanistan. Well, I was part of it when they changed the insignias and took the butter bars off and uh, made them camouflage. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I'm grateful for that, trust me. <laughs> they made good targets. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, that's what um, the the people back home didn't understand. It's like, why are you guys switching your uniform? I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> when you're in that environment, you stick out like a sore thumb. And we were losing a lot of soldiers because of that uh, digital pattern. I was... Uh, I visited Fort Stewart mm-hmm. right at the time. Somebody said, duh, we've got green vehicles, OD green vehicles in the Middle East. Maybe we should change the color of mm-hmm. them to Absolutely. blend in with the sand. Duh. And they, <laughs> I was at Fort Stewart right when they were, they were repainting all of, the, mm-hmm. all of the vehicles and making them uh, more. They should have just made them stealthy instead of. Uh, even Sandy, but you know, and this is again. I get on my soapbox, and, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm sorry, and I try not to get too political, but it irks me totally. My feeling is we should not have anyone in Congress or any place else that hasn't served their country at some point, and uh, for somebody like Feinstein or Pelosi or some of the people that are on uh, stupidly on the armed service committee or whatever that vote you know uh, terms of engagement mm-hmm. i'm sorry but that's baloney if somebody's shooting at you i'm not going to go check their id and see if they're old enough to carry a gun mm-hmm. i just want to shoot back mm-hmm. and uh, that's what i that's what we're trained to do right and uh, i i think everybody should serve their country in some shape, form, or fashion, and particularly if they're on any kind of committee, they should have served and uh, know what it's like. And uh, you know, then you wouldn't have the question on the uniform. It would have been an automatic yes. You mm-hmm. know? Well, you so, know, um, I, I'm not a politician. I'm a soldier. But, you know, when you think about raising your right hand and uh, swearing an oath and allegiance to the Constitution of the United States, you, you understand uh, what the framers intended when they built and constructed the, the Constitution and uh, how it's evolved over the years. You know, um, everything is ha- it has a checks and balance. You know, um, a lot of the uh, veterans that serve, they're dying out or they're retiring out of Congress. And uh, a lot of the current veterans are not stepping up in the big numbers to fill some of those gaps. So, um you know, you have uh, both a, uh, a veteran and a non-veteran. And I think when you can find that balance and uh, we operate as one America, then, you know, it, it can it can kind of placate some of the uh, the pitfalls that we see in today's uh, environment. Um, you know, the, the rules of engagement are just that. They're rules of engagement that are applied. And when, once you apply them and you're in combat, you know, you return fire. You know, and uh, but we're trained to be above and beyond those that uh, we engage on the battlefield. You know, they have no rules. They nope. they have no rules of engagement. Uh, you know, the extremists that we fought in the Middle East, uh, they want to destroy our way of life in the West. Period. There's no negotiating. They won't stop. That's all they believe in. So, 
it's our duty and responsibility to answer that call, you know, and that that's why three tours in Afghanistan, um, you know, every time I went with uh, with no problem because I have an 18-year-old daughter that's in college. And when I think of uh, the things that they do to women in that part of the world, you know, uh, it was my sworn duty to make sure that didn't happen here in the United States. With that being said, we're going to take our first break, and our first break is going to be very fast in that we're going to talk about your induction into the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. Until I went to um, Johns Creek uh, Veterans Association meeting, I didn't even know that there was a Georgia Military Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. And uh, the folks that have put it together, one of them being Colonel Rick Wright, uh, retired, White, not Wright, but White, Rick White, and uh, he's done a fantastic job. And you were inducted in 2018 for Valor, I believe? No, for Achievement. Oh, Achievement, okay. Mm -hmm. So it's Valor, Achievement, and Service. And uh, they're having their seventh annual yes. uh, banquet and induction ceremony on 2 November. 2 November, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, that'll be in Columbus, Georgia. And if at all possible, I'm going to try to get to it. And uh, uh, they said, uh, I was talking to Rick yesterday, and he said, if, if you come down, be sure and bring your own box of Kleenex. Yes, uh, definitely. And it's that moving. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's great that we have it. And um, I think the uh, what they're doing in Texas as well, in Arlington, mm-hmm. uh, the Medal of Honor uh, Museum, mm-hmm. uh, I think is super. And it it's come a long ways from Vietnam. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, as I was thinking about today's show, though, I was wondering, has Desert Storm and Desert Chill already been somewhat forgotten? Uh, yeah, I think it's being overshadowed by um, the fight against ISIS, um, Operation uh, Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan, and um, OIF in Iraq, um, and the things that are going on in the Middle East. Um, you know, for me personally, I think it's cyclic. Um, you know, Vietnam uh, ran uh, a, a cycle, and uh, those veterans that uh, stayed on active duty uh, transitioned and began to train us. Uh, in the early 80s uh, when I came into the military and um, you know and then they retired and then uh, Desert Storm occurred and uh, you know now it's ran its full cycle a lot of those veterans are retired and now you have the majority of those serving right now uh, were on the um, probably on the fringe of Desert Storm but definitely have spent a lot of time in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, Saudi Arabia, and Kuwait in the Middle East. And, um, you know, so we still rely on the lessons learned from, uh, you know, World War One, Two, Korea, Vietnam, uh, and uh, Desert Storm, you know, because those who forget the past are doomed to repeat it. And uh, we try to avoid that at all costs. You know, uh I think we had such a misconception, and I'm a little older than you, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I think I think people have a misconception. Maybe it's because of TV and uh, 
westerns or TVs and John Wayne in the military or whatever, but that it's that a war is a clean mm-hmm. fought thing and that it's a gentleman's war. It's almost like a a duel or mm-hmm. whatever, <laughs> and it ain't. Nobody. Uh, it's. Uh, Kill or be killed, and uh, mm-hmm. what, what's the old saying about how how many people become religious in a foxhole? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, and I I would be we're sort of going to play with this uh, commercial thing today. I own it. I can do what I want to with it. So <laughs> you know, we we will pump up the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. But beyond that, I, I'm just enjoying sitting in the same room with you. I, I've got to ask about Schwarzkopf, mm-hmm. Starman Norman. Mm-hmm. He, he was uh, he was everybody's hero. I Absolutely. Think. And uh, <laughs> I guess his funniest line was, um, you know, when the when the bomb went off and blew the on the road, and the mm-hmm. guy <laughs> went into many bits, bits and pieces. Uh, he's not having a good day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, he was a larger than life figure. Um, I met him probably about uh, two or three weeks before uh, we went into uh, southern Iraq and uh, began the attack. And, um, you know, very detailed-oriented, was a people person, Hmm. uh, you know, a soldier's leader. And, uh, you know, we all looked up to him. Um, You know, there were things that uh, you encounter uh, in combat when you deploy and you leave home station. Uh, he was determined to make sure that, uh, you know, everybody was treated fairly. And uh, we were on one accord. And uh, we remembered that uh, the Iraqis and Saddam Hussein was the enemy, not uh, anybody within our own formations and stuff, you know. And, um, you know, that, that was crucial because, um, you know, we weren't that far removed from, you know, ending segregation in the military. And, um, you know, so... Um, the things that leaders do when uh, they promote team first and uh, being on one accord is just like in that foxhole. Everybody gains religion. You know, uh, there are no uh, <laughs> southern or northern biases that you bring into the foxhole. You know, it's your brother or your sister to your left or right. And, uh, you know, you depend on each other to get back home and uh, you know I think that's the best of uh, what America brings to the table you know we're the greatest nation on earth that can uh, bring everybody from every walk of life train them uh, you know uh, station them around the world and then when the nation calls on them you know they answer that call and uh, that's huge and I think uh, again someone that hasn't served doesn't realize that um the military is the biggest fraternity sorority mm-hmm. in the world, and uh, no matter what your position was or is, mm-hmm. uh, you're still brothers and sisters in the military. Absolutely, and, and it doesn't matter which branch or anything else. Mm-hmm. You're, you're still all all the same. And uh, I uh, I didn't go to Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, but you know I was in that. I was in that era of, mm-hmm. of Vietnam when um, it was really not that that uh, safe to wear your uniform through Absolutely. the airport, even. But uh, it was a shame. Yeah, it was you know. it was crazy because 
my friends and our brothers were being killed mm-hmm. and uh, if nothing else you respect the dead absolutely and, uh, you know we, and, and you guys were asked to go you know and what people don't realize is everybody thinks that those that went to vietnam they went because of the draft and that's that's untrue that's right a lot of the folks that deployed volunteered and they answered a call and uh the country was being threatened for you know uh, politics aside, the country was being uh, was being threatened, and communism was threatening taking over the world. And we, as a free people, could not allow that to happen. So they volunteered to go, you know. And uh, when I speak to young people around the country, you know, I told them I said, "Hey, I, I belong to the the greatest team God has ever assembled and put on this earth. You know, it's the military of the United States. And uh, you know, uh, when I come into an environment." And uh, young people are, you know, not paying attention and they're not listening. You know, I get their attention, you know, and I tell them, I say, hey, you know, I'll come back with my brothers and sisters. And, you know, we'll show you what a real team looks like and a band of brothers and sisters that are willing to make sure that you have the right to do everything that you want to do. And you can go to school, you know. So the respect that you can give to me is pay attention and, uh, you know, do your part. And that is get through school graduate and uh, become a productive citizen, you know, no matter what you do. And uh, a lot of parents thought, well, you know, you're advertising for the military. No, you know, that's a calling. Your son or your daughter has to have that calling. If they've got it, then I'll perpetuate it. I said, but other than that, you know, I'm looking for people that want to go into society and be effective and productive and help this country prosper. And, uh, you know, that's what we need to get into. Now, uh, you know, a lot of people are advocating to bring the draft back or mandatory service for at least two or three years. You know, I don't think we're quite at that point yet. But, you know, um, I'll tell you this. The uh, military brings discipline. And uh, it, it turns boys into men and young girls into women. And, uh, you know, it is an honorable profession. Uh, you know, I, I think... When you take that survey, uh, they're still held in very high regard. Um, and uh, I think the first responders are right behind the U.S. military. You know, so uh, when I see first responders, I thank them guys for being on the front lines on a daily basis. You know, I, I used to tell them, hey, we only go on special occasions. You guys do it every day. And, uh, you know, if more Americans believed and thought that way, you know, we we wouldn't have a lot of the disconnects that we have in today's environment. But, you know, that's what a democracy is about. You know, you hit something that uh, I couldn't agree with you more is that, and I saw it, I was, when I was in active duty or going through basic and AIT, um, I was at the very end of the draft and we, they had started the lottery mm-hmm. and uh, I was number 12, so... I, I was going to go one way or the mm-hmm. other. But, um, and this, this is the word discipline. And I look at the the kids today, and they're not kids. Uh, they're, mm-hmm. they're in their 20s, late 20s. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're millennials. No, they're lazy, and they've been, their parents haven't done their job of disciplining them. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I think they should be the first ones sent into the military and uh, the discipline and the and they'll they'll put you in your place real quick when you get that first haircut mm-hmm. and uh, 
everybody's ball and looks the same. Yep, no absolutely. matter how tall or how short you are, you you still got the ball head. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I I just the military is the greatest thing ever. The other thing that bothers me is. Uh, where we are with NASA and space technology, mm-hmm. I think NASA in the after Kennedy in the sixties and seventies did more for our world than the people will, than most people will mm-hmm. ever understand. Absolutely, and the tools and the knowledge that we gain from the space program mm-hmm. reflected in everything. I mean, even to the manufacture of the m16 the plastic or the whatever is used mm-hmm. and the metals that were used and the information that we gain mm-hmm. was extraordinary mm-hmm. and uh, i wish that we were right back in the space age again and uh, developing and our warfare uh, who knows where we're going to be with that oh yeah uh, you know it spawned the uh, gps technology you know, oh, yeah. that has both a military application and a civilian application, and we'd be lost without it, you know, because uh, on your smartphones now, that's the first app that you hit yeah. when you get in the car is that GPS to find out where you're going and stuff. You know, now getting back to uh, the young people, I, I would say that, um, you know, uh, there is a sea change. Uh, we're seeing a lot of um, those 20-somethings uh, join the military, but you got to understand that when the economy's going good and there are jobs and things of that nature out there, you know, uh, you normally have that natural shift to the civilian economic side of the house and not a lot of people um, of an older age coming into the military. When the economy's down, you see a sea, sea change back in the other direction where you have a lot of 20-somethings to early 30s uh, joining the military. Uh, one of the things that I saw... Um, about two years ago before I came off active duty is I saw that sea change kind of upticking in a good economy, which, you know, you thought is kind of strange. But uh, it signaled that um, the military was clicking on all cylinders and doing a good job of um, telling the American people the opportunities, the things that are available, what you can have. And uh, so you saw a lot of college students saying, hey, um, you know, I really want to be a microbiologist in this particular field. Oh, wait a minute. The military has that s- service. Hmm, let me see. Uh, do I want to go and be on fries or be in the kitchen, or do I want to work microbiology in a certain aspect? And, you know, so you saw that direct in that sea change. You know, uh, I'm one of those proponents that he who tells his story first and tells it best carries the day. And we as a military and we as a nation have got to get back to telling that story you know um uh i think when you don't tell your story and that that narrative is put out by somebody else then you kind of lose that momentum or you know somebody else is seizing the day and the correct message doesn't get out you know but the pay scale has changed considerably Mm -hmm. and uh you know particularly if you're an officer Mm -hmm. uh it's Pretty, it's fairly competitive. Not fairly, it is competitive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, it, it is. Um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people uh, when I'm traveling around the country, they engage. You know, and I say, hey, but when you look at the uh, the Fortune 500 companies, which you know the military is comparable to, and you compare their salaries to what we get, 
and the bonuses and the other perks, you know, um, you know, there is still a significant uh, imbalance. But, you know, I, I tell people, you got to understand, that's not the job of the military. The job of the military is not to get paid like a Fortune 500 company. It's to defend this country and the United States Constitution and uh, be willing to protect it from enemies, foreign and domestic, and to be on a moment's call. So, you know, there's no overtime. Uh, you know, our hours are 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, um, you know, it, it all drives you back to that calling. If you have that calling, then you're willing to sacrifice. And, um, you know, your families are willing to sacrifice because it's a team effort. You know, I am grateful that, uh, you know, my wife of 21 years plus has been by my side for every deployment. Uh, I deployed four days after our daughter was born mm. from uh, from Kaiserslautern, Germany, to uh, to Croatia and uh, Bosnia. And I was gone for six months. You know, the family came over. Uh, her parents, my parents, uh, came over to help her out uh, in a foreign land. And, um, you know, but the other American families that were stationed with us, they all banded together and said, hey, you go do what you have to do in deployment. We'll take care of your family. And, uh, you know, that's the greatest part of being in a military family is that that extended family. And the term that came up in Vietnam was, I got your six. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and for folks that don't know what that means, it means I got your back. And they came out with, I got your six. And, uh it's and they do the like you said the, it's the biggest family in the world and mm-hmm. uh, you've always got a friend in the military absolutely so, you know it's, absolutely it's amazing how it works unless you're a real screw up <laughs> <laughs> you got a friend in the military absolutely um, you know and the beauty behind that David is uh, you know you can not see somebody for ten or fifteen years and when you see them. It's almost as if, you know, hey, I saw you yesterday, and you pick up immediately, you know, on a bonding and a great conversation that when people are watching two people interact and like, hey, so, you know, man, you guys are, no, I hadn't seen them in 15 years, you know, but it's just like, hey, we were just together yesterday. And that's that true bond. A lot of it is forced in combat, but more importantly, a lot of it is, um, you know, forced in peacetime. You know, different deployments around the world when you're away from home and home is forward in uh, uh, South Korea or um, a Germany or England, you know, and the, the one thing that you have in common is that you're American, you know, and no one can take that from you. And that sense of pride and the understanding that you're a part of something greater. And, you know, it, it drives you to be the best that you can be. And you can appreciate more than than I can, but the um, when you become short, if they had your back before, they got your back even more. Mm-hmm. The last 10 days of being short, you're covered by everybody. Absolutely. And... Uh, so with that being said, we're, we should take a break, but I want to take a break, a very strange break, and ask you what it has meant and what it was like to be inducted into the Georgia Military Hall of Fame. Uh, 
being inducted into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame uh, was definitely a dream come true. Um, you know, the the last thirty years of service um, were just that. It was it was thirty years of uh, service to a greater call, and to come home uh, after thirty years of uh, being stationed around the world and settling back into Georgia, and then being nominated. Um, you know, just the nomination alone, I was like, <laughs> who, me? You know, a, a little kid from Limwood Park, Brookhaven, Georgia, who uh, moved out into Cater at a young age and uh, finished out there um, and graduated from Columbia High School. You know, you guys want to put me in a Hall of Fame? You know, and they were like, uh, yeah, we, we think you deserve to be in that Hall of Fame. And, um, you know, that ceremony last November, uh, you know, uh, when Rick tells you to bring a box of Kleenexes, that's exactly what you got to do. Because um, when you hear the citations uh, for valor, for service and achievement, but more importantly for uh, valor, and knowing that, um, you know, there were some extenuating circumstances in combat where, you know, a person laid down their life to make sure that their buddies could return home and, um, you know, never to return home themselves um, it, it was humbling and you know uh, I kept telling uh, the other nominees that were inducted you know I felt like I wasn't worthy you know and they were like hey uh, General I don't think you understand you know uh, six tours in the combat and um, you know a couple of close calls but leading uh Anywhere from two hundred to seventy-three thousand uh, in combat—that's uh, huge. And uh, you know, having the deployed response uh, from the United States to save West Africa from Ebola out of your unit and putting those people uh, into West Africa to stop um, Ebola was huge. And uh, you know, um, Rick Rick pulled me to the side and he said, "Hey." Um, this Hall of Fame is about achievement. It's about service, and it's about valor. And uh, if we did valor alone, we would do a disservice to those who serve. And, uh, you know, I stopped and I thought about that. You know, and when I think uh, those that served during the Vietnam era, uh, a lot of people say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't go to Vietnam and I didn't get shot at. You know, and I'm like, no, it's more than that. You know, you supported those that did. But more importantly, you were willing to go. Your number just didn't get called. Or, you know, divine intervention sent you somewhere else instead of going directly into harm's way. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, it takes a team to get things done. Those that are in direct combat, those that are just beyond the front lines, that support those that are at the front line, and those that are in you know, um, home station and uh, support from around the world. It takes everybody to get the job done. And um, that was one of the ways that I could deal with the honor and um, the humility that uh, was necessary uh, that's carried me over the last 30 years and uh, understanding that you're being inducted into something. And when I walked into um, the plaza, Across from uh, the state capitol, and I saw the uh, the frame on the wall. I was like, "Wow, you know." 
And uh, I had a couple of uh, classmates uh, from Columbia High School that work uh, at the state capitol. And uh, they've come, and uh, they were at the, ceremony, the unveiling ceremony. And they were like, wow, you know, <laughs> I knew him when. And he's going into the Hall of Fame, but he's going to be on this wall forever. And uh, a young lady, um, she said, do you understand that future generations of your family are going to come and visit this memorial or, or this Hall of Fame, and they're going to see your frame on the wall? What does that really mean? And that, you know, I told her, I said, well, uh, for me personally, it meant that I did something right, and I was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm honored to be uh, considered uh, among the other 16 that went in with me last year. Folks, let me tell you something. Uh, this has been the probably the largest, one of the largest pleasures I've ever had in my life of sitting across from General Dix. And as a, as a grunt back when... You know, I I didn't uh, obviously wasn't associating with folks like General Dix, and um, I wasn't asked to their parties. But here is a gentleman that is uh, you just exhume in leadership, and and um, if if I were to walk in the room and didn't know who you were. I think I would still pop to attention and salute you. And uh, I wish I had a cover on right now. I would have had uh, the last hour would have been uh, with a salute. Uh, you know, you're, it's what makes generals generals and officers officers is their ability to lead and ability to do what you've done. Mm-hmm. And you, uh, it, it's just incredible. And I had the same feeling towards uh, Donna when she came in, mm-hmm. Donna Rowe. Yep. And uh, she was a, a nurse in combat. And, uh, you know, Vietnam taught us all a lot. Uh, and and unfortunately, it didn't teach some of the public what it should have or I wished it had. But um, We're right making now, up for it now, though, David. You yeah, know. we are. Um, the, uh, the administration... Um, developed uh, back in 2012 the uh, Vietnam commemoration mm-hmm. and uh, the pen, the lapel pen, uh, the decal for the cars, and the uh, citation. Um, I participated on the uh, Army staff at the Pentagon to develop that program uh, along with uh, Lieutenant General Kicklighter. And uh, let me tell you, that's the greatest uh, pleasure that I've had over the last six years is to go around the country to say, hey, we have not forgotten your service, and we want to take a moment on behalf of this great nation to say thank you. Uh, we didn't say it in the 60s when you guys came home, but we're going to say it now, and we've gotten it right. And, um, you know, we can't go back in time uh, and erase those uh, bad memories and, you know, the nation's behavior at that point in time. But we can, in this day and time, say thank you. And uh, welcome you back home. You know, so on behalf of a grateful nation, let me welcome you back home. And, uh, you know, let me say your program and what you do to honor veterans. Uh, We stand on your shoulders. We wouldn't be here 
if it had not been for you and it had not been for my godfather, uh, Mr. Twilly, and his service, uh, those uncles that I have, the aunts and cousins that have gone before me. And, uh, you know, one of the things I used to tell my soldiers is you got to love it, you got to want to be here. It's hard, but it's fair, sad, but it's true. Not everybody can do what the United States Army can do. And, you know, uh, I've said that in some tough moments and at some tough times. And, uh, you know, it's carried us through. And, uh, you know, if you believe in a higher calling and you've got that religion out of the foxhole or in the foxhole or before you deploy, then, you know, uh, you carry that and uh, you believe that everything's going to be all right because um, you understand that in order to keep the American way of life, you've got to be willing to sacrifice. And you guys proved that in Vietnam. And, um, you know, from the bottom of my heart, let me say thank you. Well, America's Web Radio and, and me personally thanks you for the leadership that you've shown and and what you've done in the military. It's just, uh, it's outstanding. And you've proven, you've broken many, many barriers and I don't want to bring that up, but you know, you, you cross lines that needed to be crossed, mm-hmm. and uh, I I congratulate you. And if there's anybody that's uh, deserved the Hall of Fame, it's I hope my new friend Richard Dick. Definitely. And uh, I uh, the military is great, and I. I support it, and we support uh, what's going on now. And, and as I mentioned, I have a son in Germany serving, mm-hmm. and uh, he's in the Air Force. And, uh, you know, you, you've – my wife and I have talked about it, or when we were together we did, that, uh, you know, uh, you hit it on the head. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Robert, our son, he has a calling for it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, that's and you know what his duty uh you know was and i've I've respected him from the get-go and not ask him what he was doing because you know it's the old saying well if i could tell you dad but then i'd have to kill you uh, (laughs) you know he's been uh, taught well yeah and uh, (laughs) um i respect he and and his classmates from uh Texas A&M that mm-hmm. uh, were in the Corps and went on into the, the service afterwards. Oh, and, yeah. uh, uh, it's just, uh, are we, do you feel like we're getting to the younger generation oh, and, yeah. and so we're yeah. getting them in? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, like I said, I was at the tail end of the draft mm-hmm. and uh, went through um, some of my basic with draftees mm-hmm. and, uh, I'm not even sure who came up. Uh, I, I guess it was Johnson or in the in the 60s when they came up with doing away with the draft. Mm-hmm. But I personally think it's the best thing. We get, or what I saw, mm-hmm. was the cream of the crop. Right. And uh, a person that's dedicated and wants to join, mm-hmm. like you said, uh, they know what they're doing and, and uh, they're the best. Oh, yeah. And uh, I'm not putting down draftees, but at the same token, I, I saw it firsthand. When, mm-hmm. And our, my first platoon sergeant um, was sort of blown away. He had he was he was very proud of his high school diploma, mm-hmm. and yet my first platoon, everybody was a college graduate. Yep. 
and uh, you know where where the military is do it do it over and over and over again until you do it right right and we did it right the second time mm-hmm. you know <laughs> and that that sort of messed up their heads right you know? absolutely but uh, you know you asked if if they're they're listening you know there are, are great examples all around the United States uh, when you go to these training bases like Fort Jackson or Fort Lee or Fort Benning and you see these young men and women and, uh, you know, they're, they're coming in droves. They're crazy They go to Benning. Nobody <laughs> should. You don't jump out of a good plane. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, you, you see um, it, it's like uh, it's like parenting. You know, I asked my mom one time, uh, you know, I said, man, I don't think I'm getting through to my son. You know, he's just, you know, ah. and she said, hey, not everybody is on the same wavelength as you are, but he's listening. This is going to take a little bit longer for that light switch to turn on. And she was exactly right, you know. And um, today's youngsters are just like that, you know. But they, they demand so much more out of the leadership, you know. So the leadership has to evolve, and they have to, you know, get better at what they do uh, from the, the drill sergeants all the way up uh, to the general officers and stuff. And, you know, you've got to be more in tune to the technology, the environment, how it's employed, where it's being employed. And, you know, these young people got ideas, and they come from a digital world. So they're bringing a lot of new insight in there. And it takes the military just a little bit of time to change out of that, you know, uh, the old Atari game system to the new Xbox. And, you know, so uh, my answer is they're, they're listening. And to the parents out there in your audience, don't be afraid to let them realize their dreams. You know, if, if they want to serve, let them serve, you know. Uh, and if you believe, like I believe, that, you know, God orders all of our steps and there are no coincidences, then you put your faith where your faith needs to be, then God will do what he does best, and he'll take care of them. But, you know, those that have a chance to serve in the military, they come back so well-rounded. Leadership is, is instilled or it's nurtured, or it's expanded, and they come back and they become, they enhance our society. And, uh, you know, there's no better uh, enhancement than you can have. And they're starting to get back into Congress, you know, so uh, that's a good thing, uh, you know. Uh, but my message to to everybody is, hey, you know, we have to do our job. If each person does to the left or the right, if they do their job, then everything that we need in this country will be all right. And we'll get what we need. We'll go where we need to go as a nation. And we'll be that shining light on the hill that we've been for so many years to so many countries around this great world. You know, and uh, we just need to get back to the basics. You know, we, we take care of home. We treat each other with respect and dignity. We take care of each other. And, um, you know, we believe in God we trust, you know, and it's not just a slogan. It's, it's a way of life that you've got to employ on a daily basis, and we just got to do what we got to do, and we'll be just fine. You it know. can't be taken off our coins or off of our buildings or anything else. We've, we've got to fight for that. I agree. It's, it's – I, I, I guess where I miss the boat is I can't understand anyone – 
stepping on my flag or taking in God we trust off of mm-hmm. our coins or our buildings or anything else. Yeah. I, I don't understand their thinking. And But, you know, the beauty know. is that, you know, the, the framers and the forefathers, they, they, they understood that not everybody was going to see it our way. True. You know, and they left a little play in the Constitution on the left and right to give you that, that right. So, you know, um, when people ask, you know, what's my opinion on this or that, I have no opinion. You know, I'm a United States soldier. I wrote, I raised my right hand, I volunteered, and uh, I answered to the Constitution of the United States. I will defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and I'm willing to give my life, you know. So that that means to me that, you know, that guy that steps on the flag or that guy or gal that you know, doesn't see things quite our way, then, okay, um, I'm going to respect that to a certain degree. But, boy, you know, if you do things and you're a domestic or a foreign threat, then you've got an issue. And uh, because I've, I've sworn an oath to protect this country, and there are hundreds of thousands of men and women that are on active duty right now that, you know, will answer that call on a moment's notice. And, uh, you know, so I would be remiss if I didn't invite folks out to the uh, 7th Annual uh, Gala uh, where we're inducting uh, or announcing uh, this year's class of 15 into the Georgia Military Veterans Hall list, of Fame. Do you have the list there? Uh, yes, wanna, sir. Do you want to run through it right quick? Yeah, let me see if I can. Uh, 15 that are going in. See if I can pull it up and get technology to work for today. I've got the names here if you want. Okay. Yep, here you go. Uh, we've got um, for uh, Valor Achievement and Service, uh, we've got uh, Gregory Clark Camp. He's going in for our service. He was a United States Army Colonel retired. He fought in Vietnam. We've got Wendy Bryan Carpenter. Uh, achievement, uh, United States Navy Rear Admiral, and uh, she's from Atlanta. Uh, we've got uh, Richard Francis Dunnan. He's going in for Valor, United States Army Staff Sergeant. He fought in Vietnam. He's from Johns Creek. We've got uh, Bertley Van Zant, England, Jr., and uh, he's going in for Valor. He was a U.S. Marine Corps Sergeant in Vietnam. He's from Marietta. We've got uh, Ray Ralph Fairman, uh, he's going in for service, United States Marine Corps. He was a CW-4, fought in Vietnam, Desert Storm, and certain, uh, he's from Athens, Georgia. We've got uh, James Adrian Guest. Uh, he's going in for Valor, U.S. Army, uh, Major General, uh, fought in Vietnam, two tours, and he's from Totoa, Georgia. We've got Jason Harkins. Harkins, uh, he's going in for Valor, United States Army. Sergeant, he uh, fought in Iraq and was killed in action. He's from Cleveland, Georgia. Uh, we've got James Charles King. He's going in for Valor, U.S. Army, first lieutenant, served in Vietnam. He's from Griffin, Georgia. Edmund Nicholas Marks, Jr., Valor, United States Marine Corps, Sergeant, Korea, St. Mary's, Georgia. Charles Henry, Jr., Monroe, Valor, United States Marine Corps, Corporal, fought in Korea, and he's from Savannah, Georgia. Uh, Clyde Vernon Moore, 
Valor, United States Army, first lieutenant, Vietnam. He's from Irvinville, and he was killed in action. James Armit Scott, the third, Valor, United States Army, lieutenant colonel, retired, Vietnam. He's from Royston, Georgia. Philip Baldwin Smith, Valor, United States Army, first lieutenant, Vietnam, Griffin, Georgia. Jack Cox Wheeler, service, United States Army, Major General, Vietnam. He's from Fayetteville, Georgia. And Roger, Roger William Wise, Jr., service, United States Army, sergeant, and uh, he's from Roswell. All 15 will be uh, announced uh, on 2 November. And uh, the ceremony is going to take place at... Um, 6 p.m. at St. Luke Ministry Center, uh, 301 11th Street in Columbus, Georgia. Uh, it's an annual event that's open to the public. And uh, the prices are individuals are $55. And uh, you can pay at the door. All donations go back to the 501C of the Georgia Military Veteran Hall of Fame um, to continue the Hall of Fame and the great work. So those are the 15 uh, inductees for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame class of 2019. And if you know of someone that is deserving, um, all applications can be found on the website, and they are due the uh, last Friday of August. And uh, the 2020 class will be announced uh, next October and uh, they will go in for enshrinement uh, to November, like this year's class. I don't want the show to stop, but we're at the end of the hour, and uh, all I can do is thank you, and uh, I wish everybody could be in the room with you. And the, the feeling that you put off is just absolutely incredible. And uh, I've I've been honored to be sitting across and be able to look at you. And the the one thought that kept going through my mind was, I wish I could have served under you. And uh, it the people that did should be flattered and honored that they had a man like yourself, the dedicated man that you are, as their leader. And I'm sure they appreciated it up and down the gambit and uh, I you're incredible will you come back I sure will and thank you for everything that you do David uh, oh, it's a great show thank <laughs> you, know, you we uh, we just respect the military but we don't do near the the things that you've done and the things that you are doing for the military with that being said folks we're going to have to uh, do the proverbial put the plug in the jug and get out of here but um, again, I want to thank General Richard Dix for coming Dix for coming in and being with us. And uh, <laughs> this sounds crazy, but I'm looking forward already to the next time. Cool. And uh, we might just have to go get some Mexican food out there in uh, Johns Creek and then come over here or something. And do it again. I'm all for it. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.